Welcome in to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. We're the podcast for Vol Basketball fans everywhere. We bring you discussions, debates, and the latest news of the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley here for another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for Vols and Lady Vols basketball. And Gene, we should hopefully actually be talking about both programs in this episode. We didn't get a chance to talk about the Lady Vols ending their season last episode because we got very consumed with Rick Barnes and roster talk for the men's team. So we'll get to some Lady Vols content uh, here in the second half of this episode. The first half, we will talk about the men's team. But before we get to that, I want to say thank you all for all the messages and all the feedback from the last episode where we talked about Rick Barnes. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, uh, go back and listen to it. It is a little bit of a long one. It's about an hour, 20 minutes or so. Uh, but Gene and I both are pretty encouraged because we had several people reach out to us uh, online and, and personally and mentioned some things from that podcast that were like well deep into the podcast, like 45, 50 minutes, 60 minutes into the podcast of, of bringing up topics that we have brought up. So apparently several of you listened to more than just the first 15, 20 minutes. So we really appreciate that. Um, if you are new to the podcast, thank you very much for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and on the Podbean app as well. We're on Twitter and Facebook at SEC, or excuse me, not SEC, that was the old old show, at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. So give us a like, go give us a follow, and interact with us as well. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys giving us feedback and, and sharing your thoughts and opinions as well. So, Gene, I want to build off something that we talked about last episode, uh, not just about Rick Barnes, but we also discussed, you know, roster movement. And, you know, we think there's going to be – we thought at the time there's going to be a lot of roster movement this offseason for Tennessee. And since we last spoke, there has been already three different moves for Tennessee basketball. Two transfers, one player going into the NBA. We, we anticipate at least one more, probably two more going into to the NBA. And we can talk about, you know, how many more transfers we might think could happen uh, on this team as well, from this team. But on Friday, I think it was either Friday or Saturday, I think it was Friday, uh, yeah, it was Friday afternoon, within like half an hour of each other, both Devontae Gaines and Drew Pember entered their names to the transfer portal. You and I talked about, I think specifically we talked about Gaines versus Urosh Plashvik, you know, if you're going to keep one of those guys, if you're going to keep someone, it'd be one of those guys. And it looks like, I mean, they, you know, Urosh may still transfer, but I think you're right, Gene. I think that one of those two is going to transfer and one of those two is going to stay. Gaines transfers, Pimmer transfers, neither one is a big surprise. I will be interested to see if either or both go and follow Kim English to George Mason because I think that was also something we that's happened since we last recorded too is, is uh, George Mason officially hired Kim English as their head coach. I don't, I don't remember if that had happened by the time we recorded last episode, but I don't think it had. But Kim English is officially gone. Um, he's, like I said, the head coach at George Mason. I think you also now have uh, Des Oliver is being looked at <coughs> by Austin P, which I think that would be a good hire for Austin P. But there's another potential staff movement uh, by Tennessee there. I, I don't know how likely that one is, but we'll see. And then also today, Gene, we're recording this on Monday night. On Monday afternoon, no surprise, Jaden Springer announced that he is declared for the NBA. He's already gotten an agent. So he is not coming back. There, there is no question about him coming back. He's not going to test the waters. He is fully diving in. And he's he's kind of all over the board for um, NBA mock drafts from what I've seen. But he's consistently in the first round. It's just more of like, is he a back end of the lottery? Is he more of in the 20s? It just kind of depends on 
um, what scout you're looking at and what site you're looking at for the, the mock drafts. But I know uh, San Vicini, who I've talked to before when I was at Rocky Top Insider, and, and, and he's done a good job of uh, writing for The Athletic, he mentioned that he has him around the top 15 mark um, in his kind of mock draft or kind of his, his prospect board for The Athletic. So that's kind of what we're looking at there is kind of the 15 top, 15 top 20 for Jaden Springer. Not a surprise. I expect Keon Johnson will probably announce sometime soon too. B. Pons, I'm sure, is going to be gone. So, Gene, before we kind of get into <coughs> what we think the roster could look like next season and what we think, you know, what direction we would we think Tennessee should go in versus what direction we think they actually might go in for constructing the roster next season, I don't assume any of these moves surprise you at all. But I'm, I'm curious, in your mind, you've already hinted a couple times now on the podcast that you think specifically a guy like Olivier Campbell won't be on the roster next season. I'm thinking we see accounting pawns and Johnson. I think we see those two go to the NBA draft. I think we see at least at least one more transfer. I, I would not shock me if we saw two or it, it, I don't know if you would count I don't think Fulkerson would be a transfer, but I think you could see Fulkerson maybe not come back next year, so that'd be just another guy gone. I you could see anywhere between two to four more roster moves in, in terms of guys leaving this roster for Tennessee. Uh, Corey Walker is another name that people have brought up and, and mentioned, you know, what, what's he do? Does he, does he come back for next season? Even though he didn't, you know, he didn't play at all this year and he was a guy who was highly recruited coming out of high school. So I'm, I'm curious kind of how many guys you see potentially of the, we've already got three that are not coming back. How many more guys do you think um, from this, this roster this year do not return next season for one reason or the other? Right. Well, if I am, if I am Tennessee and that coaching staff, I am parking at Olivier Conway's residence and doing whatever I can to keep him. And it has nothing to do with how you feel about the Kansas player. Everybody can kind of talk about how they feel about him. Um, you know, they can say he's, you know, he's so good or whatever, which I don't agree with. I think that is that kid is a good player, and I think that kid would fit in well um, with if he's given time. Um, but the problem is, like you can't, like you can't just completely flip a roster. Like I, I'm still, I understand Arkansas did something similar, but I just don't personally. I just don't love if you if you just list off all the names of people. Um, who are that you just kind of feel really good about coming back. You get past Josiah James, Jordan James and Santiago Vescovi. Um, is there anybody else that you just really feel comfortable and confident in saying is coming back? And then, so if that's going to be the case, have you ever seen a coach like Rick Barnes, who's an, an older coach, who's more set in his ways, completely flip a roster. And so how confident would you be in his ability to do that? But he's already in the process of having to, I mean, as, as of now, they've got, you feel comf you feel comfortable in, in them having four players next year. Um, the two, you know, obviously I, I feel comfortable about Jordan James, feel comfortable about Vescovi, and then the two signees. So would you want to try to bring in nine or ten guys um, 
like I just don't like that. So that's what that's what, that's how I get back to Olivier Kamwa, who I think could be a vital piece for a good team. Um, and I personally think that if you got, you know, like if you got him a position coach, uh, you could really help in his development. Like some of the guys that were really developed had played that position before. So like a lot of people, you know, I was talking about Olivier Kamwa last week on Twitter. You know, and they bring up they you know they would bring up certain names like Fulkerson or whatever, like those are guys that played in the post in high school, so they they at least you know prior to going to Tennessee they at least had some base in terms of playing that position. This kid again, I, I specifically asked him last year when I was on the Tennessee beat, how much post had you played? He said I'd never play with my back to the basket unless I had a small man on me. That's what he was. He was a six eight three man, and you know Tennessee's you know trying to you know develop him as a post player, but without a coach who is you know good at coaching post, developing post. Um, it's almost as crazy as having an inside linebacker in football and having him coached by I don't know like a tight ends coach or something. I don't know. It sounds crazy. I don't know if it's ever happened before, but it just seems. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense, so I again, and I say all that to say, I still believe the kid's gone. Maybe he stays. If I'm Tennessee, I'm doing everything I can to keep him there, because you just don't really want to go through the process of bringing in that many new faces. You know, considering your fan base is already kind of out for blood, just because they really feel like they were, you know, sold a bill of goods this year. I mean, they thought that they. They thought that they were going to be better. They thought they thought this. They thought that. They got none of it. So, yeah, like you're in year what, like six? If you're Rick Barnes, and an entire roster rebuild, it just doesn't sound like that. You've got a lot to do. Don't make it even more difficult. So you've already lost. You've lost Ticket. You've lost Pember. You've lost. You know. You, you've lost Springer. Those are three definitive. I'm assuming Johnson should happen in the next day or so. So that's four. Um, and then past that, who do you have? Like you could potentially have, you know, you said you said yourself, like maybe two to four more. That's a lot of spots to build. And you're doing a lot of that recruiting and still in the midst of a pandemic where you can't really fully develop. I mean, not develop, but um, evaluate. You're evaluating off YouTube highlights and huddle, or I don't know what they do in college. Um, what YouTube highlights trying to determine if a kid's a good fit, relationships you've built, but I just don't love that. So I don't know where this thing ends up at, but if I was, if I were Tennessee, I'd do everything I can to keep Kamwa in, in the fold. Uh, just because he's the type of kid that you feel could probably help with a full off season when there's no, you know, restrictions, you know, you know, if, if it look, all I've ever heard is that Rick Barnes is the, one of the best developers in the country. So if you give him an off season to develop a kid when there's when we're not when the whole country's not shut down, maybe let's figure out exactly what this kid is. Maybe he's nothing and maybe he has to leave. But technically he's a sophomore on the basketball court next year. So he can leave and still have two years of eligibility after this. So try to get the most out of this kid's sophomore year, and maybe this kid turns into the sort of Grant Williams type clone that a lot of people suggested he would be when he first got there. Like, that's just my opinion. I, I don't know exactly 
where this thing ends up at. I know they're going to lose some more people. I would suggest that he's one that they do everything in their power to keep. And I would agree with you. I honestly would. I know, like you said, there are plenty of people out there who aren't the biggest Kimball fans. And I, I, like you said, I think I think it's a disservice to say that he's a really bad post player when he is just now playing post for the first time. I'm literally, I remember covering him at Rocket Top Insider when Tennessee was recruiting him and when he committed and watching his film and stuff. So I, I wanted to refresh and go back and I'm currently watching a two and a half minute <clears throat> highlight clip from a huddle. I think when he was in high school, um, when he came over to the States in that dark uh, gym and he's just yes. down court grabbing. Yeah. He's, he's right. Yeah, he, 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 he had post. one, he had one play in this entire two and a half minute clip where he had his back to the basket. That that is one play, and that was because I think they were even in transition. He happened to be just in the paint, and he backed a guy down for one play. Every other time, he's catching a sh- he's catching the ball, shooting a three, catching the ball, moving to the 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 elbow, shooting a jump shot. He'll drive it in the lane from the from the top of the key as a ball handler. He he, I mean, he's athletic, and he, that's that's why I like him. He, he's athletic, he's versatile, but like you said to your to, to your point there, he never played as a as a true four. In, in high school he never played that until he got to Tennessee and it's just it's a very different style of having to play a, a true college four over what he was doing in high school well not even a true college four a, a Rick Barnes four because yeah, there's not true. many systems where you have where you put a guy with his there's not many systems now we talked about this before and I don't want to rehash it but there's not many systems now where you have guys play with their back to the basket anymore like you may have an LSU guy you know, like a Trenton Watford. I mean, he, again, he's not a post. You know, Trenton wants to play on the perimeter, and then if he has a mismatch, he'll post you up. I watched that in the SEC championship game. Um, like, that that's the type of player that I thought that Tennessee was getting in Conway. That sort of guy, I'm not saying he was, he's as good as, you know, Trenton Watford or anybody like that. I just simply say, like, that's the type of style – that kid, that's what, and again, that's part of the reason why I wonder if the kid will stay is because that kid may feel more comfortable. He spent two years being told, you're going to be a post, you're going to be a post, you're going to be a post. And like most of the other systems in the country are going to put that kid out the perimeter and see what he can do. Now, maybe he's gotten too big for it. Uh, I don't know all that stuff, but there's a lot of places that kid could go and and simply maybe be more happy, be happier about where he's at. Places closer, closer to home, places that you know, schools that play different styles, and like it, it's simple. And, it, and I think you, you can do a lot. That that kid may feel more, more comfortable in another system, and that's all it is. And I, I just don't know if he's going to stay, but he would be the type of kid that you would try to keep because you don't want to let a kid go that blossoms. I mean, Kentucky does not look great right now. And the fact they just kind of let Johnny Juzang go. Ooh, like, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause say for last night, um, that kid has looked pretty good in this tournament. I think he was averaging like 22, 23 a game going into last night. And I don't know what he finished with, but, um, you don't want to let a kid, you don't want to give up on a kid like that, that you've, you felt good about you know, and you felt like you stole the kid in recruiting. You felt like he was one of the top, you know, you felt like maybe he was playing like the top freshman in the preseason last year. Um, like I watched that kid drive to the basket in one of the first, in one of the first games of the year last year. 
and flip a pass over his head to Jordan Bowden for a three. Yep. That's stuff you, just stuff you just can't coach. I, I think if I remember correctly, he didn't have a great season overall Kentucky, but I think he showed out every time he played Tennessee. Like, I legit remember him having, a, I think, maybe two really good games against Tennessee. Oh, yeah, season. no doubt. No doubt. And, yeah, so you don't you don't want that to happen. Like, you've got a kid that has some a particular skill set, and he's pretty good. You need to try to see, see what you can do with him. And if he wants to leave, he wants to leave, but I would not usher him towards the door, so to speak. Yeah, and I remember seeing Ju Zhang's stat line kind of for UCLA in this season. I think he averaged like 15 points per game or something like that. But in the tournament, like you said, he really turned it on. Counting the game against Alabama where he didn't play great and ended up fouling out, he still averaged 18, almost 18.5 points over 3.5 rebounds and an assist and was shooting like 46% from the floor and 31% from three. But that, that was hurt large in that game against Alabama. He was, he was shooting well over 35% or 36%, I think, before that game. So, yeah, he <laughs> was having a monster tournament um, before that game against Alabama. Even then, he still finished with 13 points and four boards in that game, so and two steals. Yeah, I, I think if you're Tennessee, you would like to keep a hold of Kamwa because he's at least been in this in this system, been in, at, at the school for a couple years, and it just it's, it's hard to bring in big-time impact forwards from what I've noticed, at least with maybe it's just under Rick Barnes or, but I haven't seen Tennessee bring in a transfer forward. Who's had a, a significant impact since what Jerron Maiman, I guess would be the last guy I can think of who, you know, came from Marquette and under uh, Conzo and obviously was a really good rebounder and wasn't bad on offense for, you know, what Conzo system was, especially he's probably the last that I, unless I'm forgetting someone. He's the last like actual true impact forward that Tennessee brought in was able to make an impact immediately and you know longevity wise in his Tennessee career because I, I, I'm struggling to th- think of because I think really most of the guys that Barnes has brought in as transfers have been guards with the exception of EJ Anasicki and obviously he did not c- cut it this year like I said love his effort love his motor just could not make a bucket around the, around the basket period this season it, it just was I hated to see it for him but he just could not do it um, but to that that to that point there, to that degree of looking at transfers versus bringing in kind of high school kids or whatever. I've already seen Tennessee's name, but the last episode we talked about a few of the names they've been linked to. Uh, since then, you've seen Tennessee get mentioned by uh, contacting Florida transfer Noah Locke. Uh, today, they also were mentioned by Jeff Borzello as having been one of the many teams that have already reached out um, to ECU transfer Jaden Gardner, who is a phenomenal player. And his career in 81 games averaged 18 points, eight and a half boards, uh, was a two-time All-AAC player. He was the AAC Player of the Year in 2020 and AAC All-Freshman in 2019. Um, he, he's a guy who has a, a chance to be phenomenal at wherever he goes next. Um, like I said, he just was a star for ECU, and they don't have a great team. So I, I obviously expect his numbers to come down wherever he goes next, but he's already been already been contacted by Arkansas, Virginia Tech, Pitt, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Miami, Virginia, NC State, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M. And that was just when that was within like the first couple hours of him entering the transfer portal. So I imagine his his phone or his DMs or whomever, you know, if it's not him, it's if it's his family, their 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 notifications and their texts are blowing up at this point, but I've also noticed that Tennessee's been linked to a couple other um, freshmen, or I guess incoming freshmen, high school seniors and stuff coming out of high school. There, there's a guy who I cannot pronounce his name. I, I would go back and look it up, but I can't remember what his name is now. But he's 
been viewed as kind of an under-the-radar prospect. He's a 6'7 forward type of guy who's now getting interest. His only offer is from George Washington. Um, he, I think he's from France, or might be getting him confused with someone else, but um, he's now getting interest from Tennessee, Georgia, TCU, so some high-major programs are starting to show interest in him. Obviously, you have Brandon Huntley Hatfield that Tennessee's been all over and is thinking about reclassifying um, into this 2022 or 21 class or whatever class Kenny Chandler's in. I, I get my just 21. 21. Uh, yeah, reclassifying so you can be immediately eligible for next season. Um, you have Tennessee, I think, being linked to a guy named Tomba, who is a, a big kid in the state here. So uh, you're seeing Tennessee get linked. I think there's a, another name or two that I'm forgetting from high school ranks that Tennessee's linked with as well. So, Gene, uh, you're seeing talk and speculation that, you know, how many of these high school kids is Tennessee going to bring in versus how many transfers are they going to bring in? I think that's, that leads me to a question I want us to discuss is what do we think the route Tennessee should go down for next season roster instruction? Should they bring in more transfers? Should they? Because I, I look at it as kind of one of two ways. This doesn't guarantee you're going to have the outcomes that these two teams had. But you could go to the route of a Kentucky who brought in, I think, what, like, four or five freshmen last year and they brought in a couple transfers who you know played but didn't I mean Olivier Saar had an impact Jacob uh, Toppin didn't have nearly as big of an impact but um, you know brought in a couple transfers but mostly it was younger (coughs) high school kids versus a team like Arkansas who yes they did have some young guys who played some but a lot of the guys who played who weren't returning players were transfers they, they brought in I think all the opposite end. I think they brought in like four or five transfers and, and two or three high school kids which route do you think would I, I guess which route do you think Tennessee takes which route if you were Tennessee would you take because I'd look at it as next year do you want to just kind of be competitive finish in the top half of the SEC and kind of hedge your bets for the future and bring in guys who can you know play some next year but who you may not be counting on to be as immediate impact players and you know, kind of build for the future a little more and prepare for two, three years down the line of being, hey, we're going to be competitive for the next couple of years, but we're really going to eye you know, two, three years down the line for the next time we're, we're going to make possibly a deep tournament run <laughs> versus trying to bring in more transfers or you know, kind of immediate impact younger guys that you think maybe could be immediate impact younger guys to really try to build off, hey, we have Kennedy Chandler who we are a big believer in. We're going to return a guy like Viscovi and, and Josiah Jordan-James, maybe Fulkerson too, and try to do something again next year while also still kind of try to, try to build for the future, but definitely putting a little bit more of the eggs into the 21-22 uh, basket. So I, I, I'm curious what you think, if you're a Tennessee, what you would do, because I, I, I would lean a little bit more towards um, going the more transfer route than the high school route, because I think this year is also going to be particularly difficult to – evaluate high school players because of COVID and not being able to visit and everything like that and, and having that being as, as restricted as it was. So I think it might be <clears throat> easier also to go over the transfer route, but I, I'm curious your thoughts on that, Gene. Yeah, I would try to get... Um, I, I would try to find guys in the transfer portal who have multiple years of eligibility remaining because... What you don't want to do is to do this dance again next year, right. especially yes. if for some reason, um, yeah, especially if for some reason this does not work, this experiment does not work. Um, so, like, I just wonder, 
you know, like I, I feel like it's probably best that you you bring in. You've already got two high school kids. Maybe you bring in one more, um, and then you bring in just like a couple of kids who are just certified scores. Yeah, you know, in transfers. I mean, I saw that Kentucky brought the kid in from Davidson today, uh, yeah. just a, just a flat out shooter, mm-hmm. and. And I get you it know, back when this was an SEC basketball podcast. I kept saying that this is how Calipari usually recruits. It's not going to be the case this year because right. he started to lose and whatever. So, it, like, I, I would find a couple kids, maybe a couple shooters, maybe a, just a, an attacker. I know that they're in on the Stewart kid from Tennessee Martin, that, you know, really who I think deserves an opportunity to play at a place like Tennessee because. I mean, if you look at the Parker Stewart story, the situation of the past 12 months, it's just been sad. Not 12 months. I mean, what, six, five, four, four. Yeah, that, that's a guy I forgot to mention. Thanks for bringing yeah, him up. Kid, you know, that's a kid who pretty much lost his dad, who was the head coach mm-hmm. of UT Martin right before the season, you know, like, and he transfers to Indiana. And right after he transfers to Indiana, they fire Archie Miller. So he's right back out there. This is a kid that shot well at Pitt as a freshman in the ACC, and you can sit here and talk about how they did, but he, he was good in the ACC, and that means something. Yeah, because take this year out, and usually that's one of the top two leagues in the country. Yep. So he was he was good there. Um, I think maybe his some of his numbers went down at UT Martin because his role changed. At a place like UT Martin, you know, which is a lower level, you're going to be asked to be more of a, you know, and do all do everything guy which means sometimes your percentages will suffer and you know well, really his the only thing i suffered was his three-point percentages the rest yeah, of his okay. like his actual field goal and two point went up but yeah, i actually yeah. think that he'll be i actually think that at, at a place like a tennessee if you have a chandler and maybe have a couple other guys who can go out there and create then now all of a sudden he is more of a shooter because i think that may be where he's best served mm-hmm. so you get a kid like that in the fold um I think I saw some of the names they're in on. I can't remember. I'm sorry. It's been a long time. There's a a bunch of guys, too. Yeah. To your point, there's a bunch of guys they're in on. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, like, I do think that if they just are, you know, if they, you know, get some kids who have multiple years left, maybe bring a grad transfer in or maybe two. But if you're going to go this route of flipping the roster, you're going to need to bring some guys in that have college experience because, like, you've got a chance now. This is a free year. You know, this year doesn't count towards anybody. Um, you know, and so, like, you've got a chance now to really build this thing back up. And the reason why Tennessee is treated and is given the level of respect that it's been given over the past few years is mainly because of what Rick did with, you know, with guys like Grant Williams, with finding guys like that who weren't projects. They were more like diamonds in the rough who didn't meet all the particulars and so, you know, like you find a six six post player who can't, you know, who, who's not going to grow anymore in Grant Williams. You find a six five bull in a china shop like Admiral Schofield who trims his body down and becomes like a small Ford. But those were those kids already had those talents and skills, and they just had the work ethic and the hunger to make it to the levels that they got to. So, uh, like, so the reason why Rick has gotten Tennessee has gotten the respect he's gotten over the past few years is mainly because of those guys and you know so and what happened about with those guys is they came in the program they got better and then they left and so what you can't do now is say well what got us to where we are now worked so let's just go ahead and 
you know, whatever, scrap. Like, Calipari's been doing one and done for 13 years. It's not like he just came there. He's been doing that. That's that's his niche. Ricks has been development, so you probably need to get, bring some kids in that you can develop. Yeah, that's it's it's going to be a fine line for them this offseason because, like you said, you, you've built this on development, so you're, you're going to intrigue some of these high school kids. And like you said, you're also going to intrigue these transfers who have a couple years as opposed to... I mean, you'll intrigue grad transfers too, but I think it would be better for Tennessee to bring in guys who have more than one year left of experience. And I, I think for the most part, there's been... Uh, I want to say most of the guys they've been linked to have been guys who have multiple years. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess Noah Locke probably doesn't. I think... I mean, he has a COVID year, I guess. I think everyone gets a, a COVID year this year, so he technically has a couple years of availability left, but he's a guy who... Spent three years at, at um, Florida. I mean, uh, Justin Powell from Auburn, he has multiple years. He just was a freshman this past year. But I think the, that kid from ECU, again, I think he has an extra COVID year, but I think he's a, a guy who spent three seasons at ECU. Uh, Parker Stewart, I think that's an interesting one. I, I don't know what his case would be since he started at Pitt, transferred, sat out, went to UT Martin and played for a season, then transferred to Indiana and didn't play this year. So I... I, I you might know better than me on him, Gene, but I don't know what his situation would be like for, you know, how many years he would have left. I don't, I don't think he would just be a one-year guy. I think he'd have two years. But you know, again, to your point, bring in a grad transfer, you know, possibly. But I think you're better off if you're going to go heavy on the transfer route, which I think you should be heavier on the transfer route than the high school route. Bringing guys who have two, three years left. Um, and there's going to be plenty. There, there are, I don't know how many. I, I saw the other day that they're already on the women's side of things. And we'll, we'll transition to Lady Vols here in just a second. On the women's basketball side of things, there are already over 600 uh, basketball players in that transfer portal. I would imagine it's that many, if not possibly more, on the men's side because it just feels like there are uh, hundreds and hundreds of names on the men's side in the transfer portal right now. It seems like there's more and more, like, another 20, 50 every single day, according to Twitter. I mean, there, I've, I've, I've saw a good dozen be mentioned today alone on, on Monday on Twitter by guys going to the transfer portal. So I, I, I think Tennessee should go more the transfer route. I'll be curious to see what happens, Gene. Like you said, or like we both said, I'll be curious to see how many, how many people end up going off this roster, who all they keep, who all doesn't come back, whether it's because they're transferring going to the NBA or in a case like a, you know, maybe a Fulgerson, you know, what does his future hold with Tennessee? Does he come back? Does he kind of try to go overseas? Cause I don't think he's going to go to the NBA after this year or does, you know, what, what does he do? Does he quit playing basketball together? I, I don't know. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see him back next year for Tennessee and see if he can regain some of his old form. And I think it'd be, it'd be big for Tennessee if he comes back, even just have another experienced body to come back and, and be a guy who can, even if he just gives you what he did this year, that's still nine and five. That that's not a you know not bad. And I think you would probably condense his minutes a little bit more depending on who you brought in. But I think I think obviously Tennessee would love to have him back. But Gene, we haven't talked about Lady Vols uh, since the first episode, and even then it was kind of a, a brief mention. So I want us to talk a little bit about the Lady Vols here for the last little bit. And I've, I've reached out or I mentioned it on Twitter and I think on Facebook now both. But I, I mentioned it on this podcast a couple of times too. But looking to start a kind of a regular. Lady Vols basketball podcast. So if you're interested, if you're listening and you're a big Lady Vols fan, uh, if you're interested in podcasting or have any kind of podcasting experience um, in your life and you'd like to maybe host a podcast, a weekly or bi-weekly, just a, a regular Lady Vols basketball podcast, 
reach out to us, let us know. Uh, like I said, I'm looking to expand it and do that because I think the Lady of Alls deserve more coverage and having a podcast about them. I think it would be a good way to give them some more regular coverage. But Gene, let's talk about their season and it, it wrapping up in the second round of the NCAA tournament and kind of the way it did to Michigan, who uh, they gave Baylor, or, or, yeah, they gave Baylor a heck of a fight um, in the Sweet 16. Obviously, ended up falling, and then Baylor, as we're recording this, fell to UConn in, in controversial fashion um, late in that game. But to me, the Lady Vols, I think, had a. I think it was a surprisingly good season. I, I, I expected them to show improvement from Kelly Harper's first year, and they did. But I didn't expect them to kind of really look as good as they did. They, they, they had probably, what, three kind of bad losses, you, you could say? It, 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 and that's kind of maybe pushing it from one of them. But they, they didn't have really that many bad losses. They won... They, they won probably a little bit more than I thought they would. They beat some good teams. Actually, they beat some really good teams. At, I mean, they beat they they were competitive against UConn. They beat um, I can't remember who they, was it South Carolina or Texas A&M. The South Carolina thing is the the team they beat. Uh, that was number two or number two at the time, I believe. Um, but I mean, they, they had some high quality wins. They played well in the SEC tournament. They played well in the NCAA tournament until Ben Michigan just caught fire in that third quarter. But they also did it with a roster that you lose Kyan Green at the beginning of the season. She didn't get a chance to play. And then you lose, um, I think it was Marta Suarez was out for the NCAA tournament too. This roster still, Gene, not as good as Renaya Davis and Ray Burrell were this year. And, and those are, that's a, a darn good combo. One of the better combos, at least from scoring and, and really doing anything uh, that the team needed uh, that Tennessee's Lady Vols have had in, in quite a while, probably since the early mid two thousands. Um, as good as they were, they sometimes I feel like had to carry the team a lot because you you'd get contributions from some of the other players, but it was really a lot of times Ray and Renaya kind of being the main ones. You'd get some, you'd get Horston who would contribute. I liked what Jordan Walker brought to the team this year. I thought she was very tough for pound for pound. Might have been the toughest player on the team. That's saying something because this team was you know a very tough team. But I think roster construction wise, this still wasn't the best team you could have asked for. Yes, they were big and you know one of the taller teams in, in women's basketball, and they were really good at rebounding. But athleticism-wise, especially in the front court, still not where you want to be. Tamari Key, I think she's going to be really good, but still you know young and still developing this year. Gene, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by what the Lady Vols did this year, and I think we mentioned it in our first episode of the podcast too. Um but I have, I have hope, pretty high hopes for the future for this team or this program because I think Kelly Harper is doing a good job of evaluating players. And you touched on it and talked about when you I think you asked Ray Burrell about um, you know Coach Harper and and being taught more about basketball by this coaching staff and everything than when she first got here under Holly Warlick and their staff. Um, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on it. you spent more time you know closely with the Lady Vols program when you were covering Tennessee than I have, so you have probably a little bit better of a feel for them than I do. But I, just from what I watch when I've, I've watched multiple games from this, the past two seasons with Tennessee and seeing the way Harper coaches and seeing kind of the way that she's able to get these players to play more like a team and, and kind of get more out of them and not just bring in, as you mentioned, you know, trying to out-tough the team and bring in players, just kind of bring in high-rated players – Bring in a highly rated players, but also that fits your chemistry and fits your system and fits what you want to do and kind of play off each other better. I, I just I think to me there's a lot of reason to have hope and optimism for the direction the Lady of Alls are moving right now. Yeah, no doubt, and I think what 
what you get is, I mean, like their their biggest question going into next year is how do you replace Renata Davis? Yep. And can that happen? Um, yeah, I think what happens is like you don't realize how good of a player you have until they're gone. Um, and especially when you're at a you're at a school like Tennessee where the expectations are historically so high. Uh, she's been really good for him. Uh, she didn't shoot the ball well this year, but ooh. But what I think the most I think the most impressive thing that I think he that uh, she was able to do, she being Kelly, was um, she slowed down for the most part a Horston that was horrible. Like when people would complain about things that happened. They played 25 games this year, and they had they averaged just like about 14 and a half assists a game. I'm no, sorry, turnovers a game. And look, they, they still had more turnovers than assists, but I mean, like that's pretty that's pretty good. Like to slow her down because she's the type of person who can be she's the type of player who could be really really good for you, or she could yeah. be really really bad. And you're in year two of building something there. You look around at some places she's not at anymore. Like Missouri State, I think, just got beat last night. So you're, you're talking about a, a team that she had basically built. And the juniors and seniors on that team, I think, pretty much led the way to that Sweet 16 or whatever it was run. Uh, that's, her, that's her foundation. And so now you're looking and you're like, okay, this is now year two at Tennessee and she's got some good players in there. She has Burrell back for another year. I mean, technically she could, I mean, Davis is leaving because I mean, she's top five, top 10 pick in the draft. Uh, but tomorrow key, you'll be back as a sophomore next year. Jordan horse will be back as a sophomore next year. Um, Jordan Walker, you know, she, she has some good moments and played pretty well last year. Um, I don't know exactly what the green girl would have turned into, but, um, Maybe she would have been okay. It seems like she was productive, but some of some of those early season games aren't exactly when you de- determine how good a player is. She rebounded well, um, so I, I think that you have to be optimistic about what she about what Kelly's doing. The recruiting is going well. Uh, yeah, it's going well, and she's bringing in people who fit the system as opposed to just saying. You know, looking at ESPN.com, who's ranked top 50? Let's go get those people. Like they're fitting, they're fitting pieces in at key spots. Now, like, like I said, somebody has to replace Renan Davis, and it's I don't even think it's the rebound. I don't think it's scoring as much as my gosh, he averaged nine rebounds a game. Yeah, and um, some of the you know again, some of the times when you had certain players out there that were trying to give it a go, because Kittawa I thought had some good moments in her career. Um, thought she played pretty well last year, but what was funny is a lot of like their rebounding issues. You know, people brag about their offensive rebounds, but they failed to look at the fact that they weren't exactly converting those offensive rebounds into points. And it, it, nobody cares that you grab twenty-five offensive rebounds if you score six second-chance points off those. It just means you can't shoot. That's all it is. So. I think it's going to be important to find somebody who can just be some level of a presence because in the women's game there still is a place for the post. There is a place for the post in the women's game still. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that. I don't mean that to say that they're behind the men's game. It's just I think that in the women's game, if you have a Tamari Key, 
like that could be a special player in, in yep. school. Like when you realize that she's the same size as Eve Pons, that could be a special player in Knoxville. She's still got three years left, technically. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Tamari Key fan. I think, like, like you said, I think she can't be something special for the Vols. So yeah, so I'm 6'5", and he's <laughs> tar. Like last year, I felt like the first time I, I talked to her, I felt like I was looking up to her. I think we were now, I think we were like pretty much eye to eye. I'm pretty sure if I saw her this year, she would be above me because she was only 18 years old. And you still think there's a little bit more growing that can happen, even in women. Um, but no, like I'm looking at players that are pretty solid and are pretty good. And you can do a lot with you, you can do a lot with the players that are currently on that roster. And maybe they need to bring in. Like I would almost imagine the best way to replace Renai Davis is to find. Hit the hit old trusty, hit old faithful, hit that portal. Let's find somebody. Like they look, you're not going to replace seventeen and nine. You're not going to replace a career where she averaged. I don't know exactly what career averages were, but um, you're not going to replace a career like that just in the portal. Yeah, pull it up right now to see her her averages. It was fifteen and eight for her career. Yeah, got better as a rebounder every year she was there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the last two years, eighteen and. 18 points and then 17.3 this year. So, I mean, consistently 17, 18 points a game the last two seasons. Yeah, it's interesting because that basically those two seasons were Kelly Harper's two seasons. Mm -hmm. Those, even as a freshman, though, she was really good. And as a sophomore, she was really good, averaging 15 points a game. And, heck, that was the team that more or less fell apart. Uh, I saw that. Unfortunately, I was right around that one. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, like – Understand that something is being built. Understand that um, any time that you replace a new head coach, like the, I mean, replace a coach, the likelihood of you just automatically just going back to maybe what you were, you know, like the Tennessee of old per se, um, that's very small, very slim. And I know a lot of times people and coaches and fans they all want to chase that. They all want to just get there immediately, and that takes out the process. Like Rick Barnes, it may have been a different situation, but he just embraced the process. He was like, look, we can build something here, and he has. People may not like what's been built so far, but he's in the process of still building something. Um, Kelly Harper is, you know, she's not quite chasing the ghost. Um, she's kind of doing it her way. And I think if you watch and you watch and you watch, like she's shown that if you give her a couple years, she's going to be able to get it, you know, to make it happen. And so I think she's actually 100% capable of turning this thing around because you just look at the development and the growth and the players that are just in that system now. That speaks that speaks for itself. And you're also looking at for Renaya for her career. If it wasn't for the COVID shortened season this year, she'd been knocking on 2,000 career points and about 1,000 career rebounds, which would have been insane. She she finished with, with 1,800 points, almost 950 rebounds in her four years at Tennessee, and that was with only playing 24 games this year because of you know COVID and st still playing over 3,700 minutes in her late fall career because she averaged over 30 minutes a game almost as a freshman. She had 29.4 that year, so about 30 minutes a game that year and then over 30 
um, in her other three years. So yeah, replacing her is going to be really difficult. Uh, to a couple more points here before I want to mention something else about the Vols too. The Tamari key to me, why I'm a big believer in her is <laughs> really it. I, I liked what I'd seen from her in other games this season, but it was really that Florida game this year where she had a triple double with 23 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 blocks in that game where I thought, man, this girl has what it takes to be a truly special defensive and really good offensive player for the Lady Balls. Then she ended up going uh, 10 and 10 against Texas A&M, and then had had another 10 and 10 game, I think. Um, later on in the season as well. I'm, I'm trying to see where it was because I'm, I'm pretty sure she had two 10-10 games um, this season. Yeah, another one where she against Auburn uh, in that game too, 10 points, 10 rebounds. So uh, a few double-doubles for her this year. Like I said, that triple-double was just in an insane performance against Florida. And there's a couple games this year where she had five or six blocks, um, like not counting that 10-block performance too. Um, and also to your point about Jordan Horston, I, I was doing the math while you were uh, talking at one point. As a freshman um, last season, she averaged 4.3 turnovers per game. This season, as a sophomore, averaged 2.7 turnovers. So that's a huge difference in turnovers per game, and, and her assist-to-turnover ratio also was better. It was barely over like a 1 as a freshman. She had 143 assists, 134 turnovers. This year, 104 assists and 68 turnovers. So there's like a 1 point, like a barely over a 1. It's like a 1.5, almost 1.6 on that, that scale too. So again, that's a big improvement. If you keep improving that, like you said, slowing her down and making her less reckless, that's going to be huge for her because she is someone who really can contribute a lot to you on the offensive end uh, when you need her to. Um, and I'm curious, you, you mentioned the transfer portal, you know, can you replace Radia or, or even you know, somehow at all replace Radia Davis's uh, production through the transfer portal. We talked about the men's team need to be very active in the transfer portal. How active do you think the lay balls will be? Because I, like again, there's 600-something-plus women basketball players in the transfer pool right now. I know, obviously, Kelly Harper and her staff have, have already bringing in, I think, what, three uh, high school players? I, I don't think it's four. It might be four. They're bringing I at least think three. she got up to four. Okay. Yeah, I think, it is, I think you're right. I think it is four. So they're, they're bringing in already a fairly sizable um, freshman class. I don't I don't know what the scholarship situation is going to be like because they, they were counting on three seniors, I guess, Kyan Green, so four uh, players are transfer, you know, being done after this season, and those four are done after this season. I don't know if we'll see anyone transfer off the roster. I, I don't know. I don't have my finger on the pulse for Lady Balls as much there as I do for the men's team. But I don't. I, don't, I guess unless they have someone transfer, they probably won't be able to bring in another transfer. Uh, unless I think unless they're doing the the scholarship situation for women's basketball the same way they're doing the men, where they're letting the men have. I think 15 scholarships for this season as long as you get back down to 13 or 12 or whatever it is for the next season. I don't know if they're doing that for the women's side too. If they are, then I guess the Lady Vols can bring in a transfer. But I, I'm curious your thoughts. Should the Lady Vols really look hard at the transfer portal or do you think they should be okay for next season as what they have and what they're bringing in um, you know, from high school ranks? I'd feel pretty good about what they, what they currently have. Um, I'm glancing right now. I see one. Uh, oh, that that was long class. Um, I think they've got four. Again, I, I'm just trying to be, you know, be clear on that. Like they've got uh, Sarah Puckett's 43, Caroline Stripling's 45. Uh, Kaya Wynn is yeah. They've got four, and they've got the point guard that I'm from like Kentucky or something like that. Yeah, Brooklyn Miles. Yeah, so they've they've got four pretty solid recruits. 
Uh, and you're right uh, in terms of uh, this, I think the scholarship situation is the same, but like on the women's side, I believe uh, if I'm um, you've got fifteen. You've got fifteen uh, scholarships, yeah. I believe, I on the so women's too. side. So and so, I think what so like I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like you have to get somebody who can kind of do. Uh, you kind of have to get somebody who can do some of what she, of what Renaya does, maybe. Um, I'm not sure you have that player on the roster. And I hate to say this, but I kind of feel like that's the only way I can really speak on it. I'm not sure. Like, Ray Burrell can't be Renata Davis. Like, she's no, she, had... She's, you know, she's good, but she can't be Renata Davis. I agree. Yeah, like, her her skill set won't let her be Renata Davis. Like, Ray Burrell is out there to score. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, she's just a certified scorer. Like, I mean, and for her career... I mean, she's averaging 10 points a game, and she didn't start really until this year. She started some last year, but she didn't start really until this year. But, I mean, you just look at, like, Ray Burrell's averages. I mean, she goes up, you know, her field goal percentage goes up from 41% to 46. She shoots 40% from three in an offense where people, where the other team knows you're one of pretty much two players at times. And you and you still were effective, and you still averaged 17 points a game, and you were still good, still a good defender. You know, you rebounded pretty well, but you're not going to be her in that regard. You're not going to be Renata Davis in that regard, and that's going to be the biggest thing that has to be replaced is just a long, athletic kid who can rebound, who's not a freshman, because that's the biggest part. Like that player may exist on the roster, but. Can you plug in somebody in her place? And I don't know the answer to that question, but I kind of feel like if they can find a person who can be Renai Davis light, who doesn't necessarily have to be her, but just kind of do some of the same stuff that she does, you now allow some of your other players to kind of remain in what the roles that made them successful and made you, you know, look competitive this year. You know, like to me. You played well against UConn. You beat South Carolina. You played well in some of these games to where people are, you know, they're optimistic about what you're building. So you need to you need to build on that. And I just don't know if throwing a freshman in to replace, you know, statistically one of the I don't know. I don't look. I'm not here to do top ten lists or anything like that in Lady Vols history, but one of the top players in the history of Tennessee women Lady Vols basketball, which means something, by the way. Um, I don't know if you want to put a freshman in that spot. Um, if you can, then you've got to feel real confident about her. But I, if if that's the case, I haven't seen that person uh, come out. I haven't seen that person on this roster. I'm trying to find a number for both the men's and women's side of, of how many players are in the transfer portal. For, what I can find for the women's side, there's, uh, according to WBB blog, and it looks like it's up to date. There's 651 transfers currently in the transfer portal across women's basketball. And I would imagine the 247 doesn't have a number on here. But imagine just kind of scrolling through it. It's The men's side's not too far behind <laughs> on that number. Cause yeah, there's, they were, I mean, yeah, the men's side was around, I think, 900. Um, golly. And, well, and what's crazy about that, and what's crazy on both sides is season's not over. 
Right, yeah, there's still, I mean, we're, as we're talking, there's an Elite Eight game being played for the yeah. men's side, and women's basketball is being played right now, too. Like, I do think that, like, if you're if you're Tennessee, you've lost, you've, for the most part, lost anybody that you were planning to lose. I, I just kind of feel that way, because your season's been over for, what, like a week and a half, two weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, you almost feel, I mean, now, and at that level, at the Tennessee level, if you're losing a player... It either it, this late in the process, it, it, you know, it either comes at the, you know, in a coaching change or, and that's not happening, um, or, or right after the season, and that's already happened. So I, I kind of feel like they are where they are. So now it's just a, a matter of determining exactly what the official scholarship situation is going to be next year because um, I'm not 100% sure how many players I'm looking, you know, this year they had six, eight, 10, 12, 13 players, which means you had a couple scholarships, you know, left to give. You've already pretty much lost one. Um, and then you've got whoever else decides to come back. So, um, and, and, you, and you're bringing in four. So technically that puts you at what, 16? <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a lot of players. And then it's not just simply the scholarship situation. You are now, like, how are you going to justify having 16 players in your roster? Like, mm-hmm. I don't care the situation. Like, you know, I know that you can, but how do you justify having 16 basketball players on your roster? That's tough. So it almost sounds like they may, they may be done unless they lose a player. Um, but I just don't know how they lose a player at this at this point in the process. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think it'll be what we wrap up this episode. Again, we appreciate all of you who listen and you know respond and give us your opinions and feedback. Let us know what you think about both the men's and women's basketball programs, the roster construction for the men's side, uh, what your opinion of Kelly Harper is, and, and what you think of the future of the program, um, you know, the past of the season, all, all that stuff. Let us know if you have any thoughts on anything we talked about here. Or again, like I said, previous episode, if you haven't listened to the, where we're talking about Rick Barnes, go back and listen to that. Let us know your thoughts on that. It's going to be, usually you, you think off season doesn't have a whole lot to talk about. And that might be the case once we get to like, I don't know, like June. But I think Gene, it's going to be a, a fairly busy off season for the men's side. And I think Lady Vols will be interesting to kind of see what comes out of their camp and, you know, what the younger players look like when they're developing and stuff um, over the the summer and everything to see kind of what what kind of roles are being played into and you know some of the players who didn't play as much like a Test Derby or Destiny Salary you know what can they do next season for the Lady Vols and you know what steps are they taking in this off season too so there's gonna be a lot to talk about this off season it's not gonna be a a, a ho hum kind of boring off season it's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of news I think and it's just gonna be across college basketball with a ton of transfers for everywhere. Not everyone's going to be able to find a home. You're going to see some guys in the transfer portal go back to their schools because they're not going to find somewhere else to, to go at this point or at, at some point. So it'll be a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. But again, that's where we'll end this podcast. We appreciate all of you listening. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the Podbean app. At, SC, or at Vol Hoops Fever, did it again, on Twitter, and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Uh, appreciate all of you listening every single day every single week we really 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 can't thank you enough for your support signing off for gene i am nathaniel until next time this has been another episode of the vol basketball fever podcast